Hello and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. We're coming to you just after um, Liverpool beat Aston Villa's ball boys and mascots 4-1 at Villa Park. Um, it was less than inspiring game of football, but we're in the half of the next round. And I suppose <laughs> it depends on your persuasion on the FA Cup. That's all that matters, maybe. Um, and to discuss... The fallout, if you wish, um, of this game, I've got uh, Mike Davis over in Liverpool. Mike, how are you this evening? Yeah, good, thanks, Dave. Yeah, enjoyed that. Yes, slightly. it was. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. it got it got better as it went on. I'll probably just yeah, leave it at, yeah. leave it at that for the meantime. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, I've got uh, Andy Bell in Belfast. Are you back in Liverpool, Andy? Uh, no, I'm back in Liverpool now. Yeah, I got back over midweek there. So, um, yeah, I mean, going from a national lockdown into a national lockdown, it's not really a lot for me to talk about there. But, yeah, um, can I talk about Thiago yet? No, <laughs> not, yet. not yet. Yeah. Um, right. so given national lockdown to national lockdown, you've still probably got out a whole lot more than the three of us have over the last week. So I mean, they got on the ferry, like, so if that yeah. counts. Yeah. You got on the ferry and you were probably able to get a beer in the ferry as well. I wasn't actually, no. I oh, really? Time. I don't know why. Yeah. So oh, well. I was on the coffees, but such is life. Oh, such is life. And I've also got uh, Jay Reid also out in Liverpool. Um, so it looks like I'm the only exile here. Jay, how are you? <laughs> Brexit means Brexit, my friend. <laughs> Not for us, it doesn't. Not for us. <laughs> you, can, you can deal with them Southern Irish or whatever. But yeah, uh, we're recording this at half ten, so I imagine the poor lads who played for Villa are being picked up by the mummy and daddy now and have gone to bed, haven't they? Yeah, you know, we, were, getting, we were reminded of that, was we? No, they'll, they'll be getting rid of their bedtime stories by now. Um, God help them. Um, all right, Jay, so listen, let's get into it. Um, the lineup, Klopp goes strong. Um, yeah. I, I figured he would go strong. Um, I figured he probably would go that strong. I can make all sorts of arguments for him throwing um, a number of younger players out there. Um and I think it's a difficult one to judge based on the late change of what the Villa lineup would have been as to what it ended up being. But I think the prep was done, the team was selected. Um, and I think there's probably an argument to say, don't really want 16 days or so between games for some of these boys. Would that be fair? Yeah, you could say that, yeah. Um, I think in the whole, the, the, the team that lined up anyway, a lot of it is using our squad I know we're, we're a bit bare bones but if you look at like Nico Williams I mean Trent had obviously a, a nightmare on Monday and this and going through the best of form but he needs games uh, Milner's just come back from injury he needs games um, Reese missed out midweek needs a game obviously Kelleher in goal um, we're surprised to see Fab start at the back and, and actually hold the full distance but it is what it is um, and then you know Jones didn't play midweek uh, Minamino's not played for three games. Obviously, Henderson only got 45. Thiago got 45, which was what we'll come on to later. But I think, all in all, it was what you could probably predict. Maybe there would have been an argument to maybe give Shaqiri a start. Um, obviously, Origi looked like he's on his way out the club, or maybe will be. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe you could have given Ox a start. But then again, he did start midweek. So if we were going to go strong and used the squad then then that's what it was and maybe there was a case for a couple more youngsters to maybe have made the bench and not had to use as many first team players but as you say we've got nine days now before United and 
given what we've been performing like in the last what, two and a half weeks, four games or whatever, I think Klopp always makes a, a big point of we need time on the training pitch and I think we now need that more than ever and maybe it was just a case of keeping the lads ticking over and it wasn't the most challenging of games physically but keeping them lads just out there playing and then he's now got say a recovery day tomorrow from Sunday to Sunday he's got realistically six days on the training pitch with them lads that we can hopefully get our shit sorted Yeah you would um, you would hope so this is a luxury now coming up for the manager um, and has been from, from last week and you'd expect that that'll Give him time, Andy, to start to bed some of the new players in that haven't had um, time with the group. Um, I'm looking at you, Thiago. Um, but are there, is there anybody you would have liked to have seen tonight get some minutes, get some game time, as opposed to, like, I expected him to go strong and Robertson sits out, which I think is, you know, was obvious given the, the number of minutes that he's got under his belt. But, like I was surprised to see both Genie and Henderson um in the starting lineup. Yeah, I was I was about to say Genie there. Um that's who I was thinking about when you were um asking me that question. Uh, in terms of anyone I'd like to have really seen, not really. Um I saw this game as well. I'm sure it was to an extent uh, in this mould, but certainly when the news came out that uh, Aston Villa's players all had to uh, self-isolate and they were playing an under-23 and an under-18 side, um, I think it was very clear that we had to use this game to have us in, in perfect con- condition for, for Manchester United. And um, I think that's the really only important thing about tonight. We were never going to lose it. We were never going to go out. We were always going to get the job done in some way, shape or form. It just happened that it was a bit uh, uglier and not as not as much crack as we would have thought. Um, I, I, you know, Jay, Jay is basically spot on what he says there. Um, there were guys who needed minutes. I mean, I mean, it's the obvious one. I mean, Jurgen's been talking about him a lot in recent weeks, saying like he he's been doing really well in training. He's been doing all the right things, and uh, he, he kind of feels bad that he hasn't been able to give him more of a chance. And uh, he comes in, and uh, you know, Jones didn't play Southampton, did he? So he was obviously going to come in as well, and. Of course, you need to give Robertson a rest. I mean, that's literally the reason we brought Simicass in is because we weren't able to give Robertson uh, enough of a rest to have him in kind of peak condition over the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was stronger than I expected personally. I'm not sure if there was something done where they, they had the team in mind uh, perhaps a couple of days before and then weren't prepared to change that after the news. Um, that would be understandable as well, given that, you know, a strong Villa side on a Friday night in the FA Cup, I think, you know, <laughs> it would be more or less an even game if they had a a strong side out. I wouldn't necessarily back this for that one. So, yeah, it was one of those. The team news, uh, it was stronger than I expected. But at that same time, when the team came in, I thought, right, brilliant. Let's put eight or nine goals past them here. Let's get the confidence up. Let's get some practice, albeit against a youth side at, at breaking down a, a tight defence, the the type of defences we've struggled with, really, in recent weeks. Thinking back to Fulham, uh, Brighton was a while ago, but West Brom and, and Newcastle as well. Uh, I know we eventually get the job done against Spurs, but at times it looked a bit, little bit difficult. So, um, yeah, it was one of those tonight. I mean, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't particularly enamoured by any part of the performance. I was quite frustrated at times. I thought, um, Villa were compact, and obviously, I think we were talking a little bit in the chat that you know, of course, this is the biggest game of their lives. For some of them, it will end up being the highlight of their career, and of course, they uh, they were set up in a, in a certain way, knowing they were playing against the, the Premier League champions. So, um. That said, that Villa side, that Villa Academy side in the EFL Trophy, for example, this season, 
lost 8-1 to Sunderland, hammered against Fleetwood, hammered against Carlisle, just to name a few. Fourth from bottom of the Premier League, uh, second, the second division of the Reserve League. I have no idea what it's called these days. It used to be the Central League, didn't it? Um, but yeah, it wasn't a fantastic Villa side. And for an hour, it kind of reminded me of, remember that Carlisle game when Rodgers was in charge? I think it was the season after uh, the really, really bad season under Rodgers. So, uh, and everyone was kind of talking about that game as it's going to be a game where the players are going to come in, get a load of confidence, get a load of goals up. Carlisle were like bottom of the league two, conceded the most goals in the English football pyramid. That was supposed to be the one that, that, that was going to get the confidence up and it didn't really materialise. I think they took us to penalties in the end, didn't they? Tonight, obviously, we do get the job done. Their legs go, uh, their fitness goes as well, but um, it's kind of reminiscent, reminiscent of having Waterlooville, isn't it? Where we end up winning by three goals, but uh, in the end, all the headlines are going to be about the, the the Villa kids, who, to be fair, did very well, but it wasn't really good enough for us tonight, in my opinion. Yeah, Mike, it's um, it was a funny one because it ended up being a game where those young lads had absolutely nothing to lose, and we had everything to lose. Um, and even when you come away with a four-one win. <laughs> there's still going to be a whole pile of people that aren't happy about a whole pile of stuff. And that seems to be the way that it's turning out. Um, and it often is the way these games turn out, um, if we'd be honest, looking at these at these sorts of cup ties, especially away from home, when, when you go to a side that is, is inferior to you. Um, and it's never as easy as it appears it should be on paper. Yeah, it's. I think we're on a lose-lose situation tonight, Dave. To be truthful, it went as I expected. I thought we'd go strong with having such a long rest until we got United. So I'm not surprised by the team because uh, I think there's a lot of players not been playing with confidence. I think Klopp was hoping they would um, play themselves back into form. Um, and I wasn't surprised. I actually put a message in, I don't think it was in our group, in another group, that I thought after 70 minutes, the legs would go, because it's a different kind of fitness of youngsters to the professionals, I think. Uh, pretty much similar to our game last year, I felt as well. If I remember rightly, we were in it, weren't we, for 70 minutes, and then Villa took over, didn't they, if I can remember right. Um, so, it went pretty much as I thought. It was a non-entity, like I say, we're, we're in a no-win situation. Damned if we beat them 9-1. Damned if we beat them like we did. People were never going to be happy. Um, I thought Bobby did well when he came on, actually. I thought he, he linked up well with Thiago. But we'll talk about him a bit later, I think. Because I think Andy's got a lot yes. to say about that young man. <laughs> yeah. I think, we've, uh, I, think we're, I think we've all got a fair bit to say about that. That's all right. I, I could speak all night about him, Dave, to be truthful. Um, I'm like, I think I'd go off on a ramble like everybody uh, but like you say going back to the game um, we did enough didn't we it was one of them you know I yeah. feel yeah I, I think we just we did enough I think that's how we can look at it we did enough yeah I think so Jay we did do enough um the game's won in probably six or seven minutes in the, in the second half. And um, for a long time, it looked as though it was going to come. But I think I think we're all in agreement that after the first after the first half, you're looking at it going, there is a real element of predictability from this Liverpool side. 
Um, it's a tip ball through the middle. Um, it's a deep cross from Henderson, or it's get the ball to the fullbacks um, and try and hit the middle. And ironically, the first time we do it, we stick the ball in the net and we're sitting there going, right, happy days. This, If nothing else, we'll get to see a few goals and we shouldn't have to stress and worry. And it might just, for the first time in a few weeks, be a, a not horrible experience. But as the first half went on, it just really did seem to become patently obvious that we had a real lack of creativity and ideas. Yeah, that's um, probably sums up the last what, three or four weeks, uh, three or four games that we've had. Um, we just look frustrated. We look void of ideas. We look lost in the final third. Um, as you say, the, the first time we did get it wide and we put a purposeful ball in, we, we get the goal, but then for some reason... For the next 10 minutes, we were a little bit on the front foot. We just seemed to take our foot off the gas. Now, I know you've got to respect your opponents anyway, but they were only a young team. You There's an argument for some people to say we go out there and smash them 7-8-9-0, which is what I would have liked personally for confidence in the players. But you can only beat what's in front of you. And we, we give them chances. We we gifted them their goal. If, if you look at it, it was a great finish and he'd, he'd done needs to get away from Williams, but we were sloppy in possession. We lost possession in the final third. We were sloppy in the press. Henderson was turned quite quickly. And then it just seemed like no one wanted to chase back once we had lost possession. And Reese was found out for pace. Once again, it's something that we all know anyway. Um, he may come with time. He'll just improve his positioning. But for me... I, I'm putting fingers at the goalie as well. At the, I know there's a lot of in the build-up to the goal, but the goal was shown from an angle where obviously it sees Lou Barry run onto the uh, on Russian Keller, and then Keller just stops and makes himself really small, and you just think you've just made that really easy for the lad, and he's still got to tuck it away, and credit to him, he does. But for me, that was quite poor from Keller where. He'd not had much to do in the game. The one thing he did really have to do there was come out, be big and be strong. And he made himself really small. And I was quite disappointed in him for that. And I don't think that'll get picked up by many. And obviously, it's a buy the buy in the result. But, you know, these little things are what we've got to improve on. If, if he is going to be our number two, and if anything does happen to Alisson for the rest of the season, we do need to, to count on this lad. And something like that is something that he can learn from. Yeah, it is something he can he can learn from, and I think you know, looking at it, Andy, I think Reese Williams is a fair amount to learn as well. Um, I think he's decent on the ball. I think his passing's good. I think he's he's obviously strong in the air, but for the goal, he's very very tight to Barry. Um, allows him to turn him. I think Fabinho should probably be closer to him, um, but that ball shouldn't that that. That pass should never be allowed to be played between the two centre halves. Um, that's really, really poor. And uh, between the two of them, um, once that ball's in behind, high line is is good for a lot of things with regards to a press, with regards to winning the ball back and suffocating the opposition and not giving them space to play in. But what you need is centre halves who are quick. And unfortunately for us, and unfortunately for Reese Williams. Pace is not a strength of his, and it's not something we're going to be able to suffer for the rest of the season. 
And I think that's a big problem with the centre-back situation. Of course, um, the main problem is with, with loads of lads out injured. And that is, that is the end. That, that's the kind of, uh, the thing that the reason everyone's calling for a new centre-half. But the problem is that even the centre-halves we do have coming off the bench. I mean, uh, Williams is obviously very slow right now. Whether he grows into his body or whatever technical term it is and becomes quicker. Uh, I think there was a similar story with Van Dyke when he was a bit younger, was very slow. And of course, now most of the players will say he's actually one of the quickest players in the team. Same with Nat Phillips. I don't think he's any quicker, if at all. Uh, and my problem with the situation is that really you're, it's fine sort of when their fifth choice or emergency are coming in in a League Cup game or a dead rubber in the Champions League. But these guys are probably going to have to play five ten games between them until the end of the season that's maybe being a bit optimistic with the injury record of our center halves uh, van dyke aside obviously who, who is out more or less for the rest of the season we think um and it's the problem for me is that you, you know you do have to compromise the way you play in terms of the high line in the case of uh in the case of reese williams uh, in terms of keeping possession of the ball in terms um as regards Nat Phillips. Um, and I, I think if you just get somebody in, even of the same standard, but who can run and pass it, and maybe make some mistakes in other aspects, um, I think that's what you take right now because it's it's having a bit of an effect on the rest of the team. Uh, you talk about the high line there, and actually Klopp talked uh, a lot about this after the Arsenal at home game, third game of the season, uh, where he kind of said... Um, the performance looked sloppy. It looked as though um, it looked as though Arsenal were getting a load of chances in behind, but sort of seventy percent of them were offside. And there is a, a statistic that the higher line you play, the more games you win. It seems like a dodgy tactic at the time, but actually the influence on your overall play, uh, the influence it has on your overall play, is, is is great and and can help you create more chances of pressing. Uh, all of which you've alluded to there. Um, it's a bit Andy. It's a bit like the old zonal marking argument where. It's very obvious to spot an error from Zoro yeah. Markin because someone gets a run on you. But actually, if you look behind the glaringly obvious to the the eye test, if you will, mm-hmm. the statistics will bear out that it's just a more effective way of defending. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's exactly it. And I think with Reese Williams, it, it is a mistake tonight. He's too tight and he doesn't have the pace to get back in. I think he, he momentarily thought of taking him out, but then he thought, you know, there's really no point where rather keep 11 men on the pitch and, and kind of take it from their second half when we knew what was going to happen. Whereas 10 men, 1 0, it starts becoming a little bit awkward. Um, I think similar to, I think Nico Williams as well is having a bit of a rough patch right now. I mean, I'm not keen to write either of them off. I think the criticism of Reese Williams, not on this podcast, but o- overall on Twitter and the general Liverpool supporting, supporting sphere uh, over the last four weeks has been really harsh. I think he's come in and done pretty well uh, on most occasions. You know, for a guy who, let's not forget, we, we shouldn't have heard of this guy, really. Um, if if there wasn't the same uh, amount of injuries to our to our players, we wouldn't have heard of this guy. Uh, it turns out he's come in, he's played, he started four Champions League games, he started against Tottenham, Biggest game of the season, top of the table clash in the Premier League. Uh, he's played a few cup games as well, which maybe you would ex- have expected. But, you know, we shouldn't have. This is a guy who has been completely and utterly fast tracked into the first team and has, has done really well and has looked composed. And of course, he's made mistakes, but every player always does. This is, I always sort of bring it back to Raheem Sterling, you know. People forget, because Raheem Sterling's so brilliant now, people were laughing their heads off when we got 50 million for him. He was off his game for pretty much a year and a half. Um, and at certain times in his Liverpool career, he was off his game. And look at the type of player he's become. Now, I'm not suggesting for a second the likes of Reese Williams, Nico Williams, or Kelleher, etc., are going to have anywhere near the kind of um, 
glory careers that Raheem Sterling's currently having, but we do have to bear that in mind with young players. I know everyone says it, and I know everyone cuts some slack, but when it actually comes to the nitty-gritty of analysing individual games, um, I think we can be too harsh on these guys, and I, I didn't really get a chance to see see Kelleher for the goal. Um, I've seen a few people uh, criticising him, but remember, that's also a guy who's who didn't expect to be playing football this season, bar the Cups, maybe. Uh, only Adrian is excelled himself whatever the reverse of excelling yourself is that he's been fast-tracked into the team he made that incredible save to get us through in the champions league and you know i think these guys deserve a bit of credit and it's not their fault that they're playing every week they're not picking themselves you know what i mean um they're just putting themselves in a position uh where if a crisis uh, like we're seeing right now uh, takes place then they are ready um and i think they've done pretty well and reese williams part of it, I, I was actually going to say midway through the first half i was thinking yeah i'm going to give Reese Williams some praise in the podcast tonight because I thought he, he at times he looked really composed and they were clearly targeting him um, but obviously that one mistakes what what everyone will be talking about but I wouldn't look too much into it and let's hope that um, we can find some sort of solution to this whether it's Matip staying fit which I think is probably the most unlikely of the scenarios. Let's, yeah, let's, let's find a plausible solution if that's okay <laughs> yeah, with everyone. Yeah. Yeah, um, and but uh, whatever happens, whether it's bringing a centre half in, whether it's guys coming back early, whether it's this that or the other, uh, let's hope that these guys can be actually allowed to develop at their own pace and not fast tracked and put under an immense amount of pressure uh, like they are at the minute. Yeah, totally, Mike. The first half, we you know we don't do the young lads any favour. I think we're sloppy. I think there's there's we get the ball nicked off us three or four times. Um, we don't finish our chances when Alden is a good chance. Um, that he should score. Um, I think there's one that Henderson shot that hits that hits somebody on the line. Salah has a really good chance just to slide one across the edge of the six-yard box to either Minamino or Mane for for just a, a clear. It's just a tap in basically, and he he tries to shoot near post, and really the pass should happen. But second half comes along, and it's weird. Don't know whether you notice it, but there's like this weird huddle. Everybody's kind of huddling up in the tunnel before we come out, and we're like, "What's going on here? Are, are they like, are they going to do one of those weird things that Klopp gets them to do? Like they're all going to walk out onto the pitch after the after the second half, holding hands or something?" Um, and then he emerges from the crowd, shin pads in hand, and it's obviously a pl- it's it's obviously a planned <coughs> sub. Um, for for Henderson and, and Thiago to, sh- to share um, yeah. 45 minutes each. Um, but from the very predictable um, and one-paced first-half performance came a very obvious change to our play. Um, there was less predictable patterns. Um, the ball oh, was moved a little, bit, a little bit swifter and what I also noticed was there was just a little bit more movement. Um, I don't know whether that's because they know they're going to get the pass, they expect the pass, but they don't expect Henderson and Wijnaldum to be able to give, or because the ball's just being moved that quickly that there's a little bit more space because players are getting dragged here and there a little bit more often and earlier than, than they were prior to it, especially with those tan legs, but the difference was palpable, wasn't it? Oh, massive, oh, immense, massively different, massively. Just touching on their goal, though, Dave, um, I thought the, the lad won a great run. He bent his run superbly, you know, that young kid. I know Williams was close to him, but that was a brilliant run, you know. I mean, he bent his run to stay on side. 
I thought he was excellent by that young kid. Um, but moving on to the second half, oh, he's just unbelievable, isn't he? Um, he just he's like a conductor, isn't he? He sort of just conducts the play. He's telling people where to go. He's pointing here, he's pointing there. He's laying balls off and he's running for the returns into positions what you don't expect him to go into. Uh, and his ball control in tight positions is amazing. I mean, he had three or four around him and he come out with the ball. I'm thinking, have you done that? He had no right to do it. He's just... I think if he had been fit from the start of the season, Dave, I think we'd be clear now. There's no doubt about it. You can see why we had we wanted him so badly. Um, he's just... A, I'm going to put something out there which people think I'm going to be mad because he's only played a few games. But I think he's a level above... De Bruyne himself, I think he's the best midfielder in the Premier League by a mile. Uh, the impact he had on tonight, as you can see, all of a sudden, like you said, Mane's making runs what he wasn't doing in the first half. We were dragging the defence out. We were that yard quicker. Um, I was expecting the same as Jay, eight, nine goals. And I actually thought we were going to get him once he come on the way he was dragging them all over the place. You could see the young kids, they were like thinking, where's the ball going now? What's he doing? They couldn't, whereas in the first half, we were slow on the build-up. We were predictable, like we were saying. Then all of a sudden, this Tiago comes on the pitch and it's like, what? <laughs> it's like he had, it was like a freaking nature, and you know, football pitch is unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. I can't really say a lot more about him. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it it did bring an extra element of joy to the second half, Jay. Certainly, um, but it's it's little things. It's just little things about his game that just elevate him and just make it so much more difficult than the opposition. The way the ball is, you know, it's fired into somebody's feet. It's into the run. It's telling them what to do with the ball before they even get it. Um, and these little, rev- like this little, these, it's not necessarily a no look pass, but it's like a little reverse pass um, that he likes to play. And plus the strangest step over in the history of football, which has got to bam- bamboo- <laughs> bamboozle and confuse any defender. Um, but it, it is just those little things that, that just make such a difference overall. He's not, I agree with Mike. He, he's, Arguably best than De Bruyne. He's going to prove it. Maybe this season, probably next season, if all being well, he doesn't get any more knocks and bumps. Um, I'd be about him this season. We would have robbed this league already. We'd have run away with it, regardless of our defensive frailties. Um, and if we keep him fit, I think we said on the last podcast that I was on, keep him fit, that's it. We run away with the league. It's, it's not even a, a question. Maybe defensively yeah but you could just see like he comes on and it's almost as like he felt it was an insult to have I got to do this let me show you how it's done and as soon as he steps on the pitch you know players play better with better players now Anderson take it or leave it however you want to see it Uh, not go into that minefield because there's enough being said on it and I've got a view other people have got a view um, but 
that there is a difference in quality between the two. They both bring different things to the game, but Thiago is a level above Henderson. That there's no debate about that. For no, me. because he's a level above ninety nine point nine percent of what, the what I mean in the world. You look at Mane, Salah, and they know that ball isn't going to come from Henderson because they've played them long enough, and they know that ball is going to come from Thiago, and all of a sudden they 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 know what to do. Where with Henderson, a lot of the time it is recycled the ball, and the, the, there can be nothing wrong with that in certain games, but tonight. We did have to put the ball more vertically than horizontally, and we weren't doing that enough in the first half. And just that the chipped cross pass is one thing that's really annoying me. Like he, it's worked a couple of times, but he plays it multiple times a game, and it, it's going to nobody because he's not looking what he's doing. I'd understand if he took a touch like like Trent maybe doing whip it in, but he's putting this cross in over and over and over and over again, and. Very rarely do we get any joy from it. Our forwards aren't the biggest and most dominant in the air. They are decent, but they're not overpowering players. Like even like the likes of Harry Kane, where he'll get up and above people. But when Thiago come on, and it was the same time, what well, not not long just after Shakiri come on, and you you've put two more technically gifted players on the pitch, and all of a sudden we went to another level. And I said it to a couple of my mates. When we've moved to a four-two-three-one, is this something that we're going to move to a for the United game and b maybe for the rest of the season because we are struggling defensively? Is it something where if Fab's obviously going to stay at the back as it stands, we've got no other player to play there? If Henderson is required to play there for whatever reason that we need him to, is it a case that we we use Wijnaldum and Thiago in the middle and we do go four-two-three-one and we we start to integrate Shakiri and Minamino? more in that sort of rotation and we just think well fuck it we're just going to have to score more than others because we need to find a way to score goals and as soon as that happened obviously they got tired but we just looked a totally different team because we were playing the ball on the floor it was one-two touch and the goals that all come afterwards was all due to one-two touch football and it's a simple game if you if you just play it simply like we don't need to overcomplicate things and try and pass the ball into the back of the net because it just doesn't work and I think certain teams have figured us out or they, they could look at the prototype of games to figure us out if we now go into the rest of the season with a 4 3 one then you're challenging the rest of the, the league now to, to try and figure that out and you know if we've got that talent on the pitch it won't be beaten in many games Yeah that's all very fair um, and Andy there, there, there seemed to be a lovely fulcrum um, of, of Thiago and Genie and they dovetailed really nicely I thought throughout the second half they were both making runs into the box they were complementing each other well they were um, covering each other because I didn't expect Thiago to get in as many as in as many advanced positions as he did and maybe it was because they were pushed back so deep but you know he's popping up in the penalty area and in and around the edge of the penalty area um, it's Jay's right it's it's absolutely something that could be looked to, um, and even more so when you think that you wouldn't expect, given the time scale that we were all told that Jota will be back within maybe the next, you know, maybe four or five games, fingers crossed. So that gives you, you know, that gives you all the, <laughs> gives you all the excuse that you need to go and do something like that. 
Yeah, I'm so glad you came to me in Thiago. When I saw you go to Mike there and I saw I was last, I was like, oh no, he's going to be on a fucking a rig or something. No, don't worry. I was, always, I was always going to give everybody their crack at the little Spaniard thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You might have to put an explicit content on this podcast, uh, Dave, to be honest. Uh, no, yeah, Thiago is a... I think that there's a... there's a, I know you can sort of create any sort of point or an agenda with one clip or one still image of, of a game but there's a point um, there's a clip going around Twitter I can't remember if it actually led to a goal but uh, Thiago picks up the ball sort of uh, maybe 10-15 yards inside Villa's half uh, and Nico Williams is in you know a fair bit of space and all game we had just gone out to Nico Williams or gone out to, to Milner like the easy option I think and when you've got Henderson and Wijnaldum uh, in the same midfield I think maybe slightly too often um, the easy option is taken, especially when you've got a young 19-year-old Curtis Jones as as the man you're looking to to break the lines. You know, sometimes it doesn't it doesn't quite work out like that. And um, there was a pass Tiago just snapped into Mo Salah, I think it was, and the caption of the of the video was any other Liverpool midfielder would have gone out to Nico Williams here. And I think it actually ended up on a goal. And that's that's exactly what Thiago is. I mean, the performance in the first 60 minutes, um, well, 45 minutes before Thiago came on, but also a little bit um, into the second half as well. It was endemic of, of Liverpool's problems over the last four or five weeks, whenever the, the, the first of those draws against the bottom teams were. Um, it's too side to side. It's a bit too slow. We're a bit worried to make that. It's a kind of incisive pass. We're going out wide too much. We're crossing too much. Uh, Jay mentions that clip ball from Henderson, which, yeah, it just isn't working at the minute. Um, he's been trying that too much since Fulham away, in my opinion. Um, and Thiago comes on. And, and Shakiri came on at the same time. And we do have to caveat this by, I think Jay said it as well, the, the fact that Villa's kids were tired and there was a bit more space and there was a bit more uh, scope to play these kind of balls. But it was a lot more central. It was a lot more smashing into feet. And, you know, Mane Salah, Firmino, Minamino, whoever it is, you have to control that. If you don't control that, that's on you. And I like a bit of that. And Shakiri was kind of playing like the, the advanced Thiago because he's obviously a, he's nowhere near the same level of technical footballer. But He's similar in the sense that he can produce that moment of magic. He tries to go central as much as he can. He tries to play in tight areas. And having those two on the pitch was, was, uh, was, it did, as you say, change the game. Um, and I know we're not going to talk about United in this podcast, but I'd be seriously looking at starting the two of them. Uh, certainly starting Thiago and looking to give Shakiri a fair amount of time uh, if the game's still in the balance as well. Um, yeah, but he's, if we can keep him fit, I still make us favourites for this league. Um, I know it's kind of got a bit messy recently, and I actually think he was quite poor on, uh, when do we play with him? Monday night. I'm still not back into the, the calendar mode yet, but yeah, Monday night, and he, I actually thought, I didn't, th- I mean, it was, the, the whole team was quite poor in Southampton. Look, they're, they're set up with a similar type formation to what Villa had tonight after they'd got the goal with obviously significantly better players. Um, but I thought it was just worrying tonight, first half hour, or first hour, um, the fact that these problems we've seen breaking down the, 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 the lesser sides in the Premier League even. And I think like even going back a year ago, a couple of years ago, we were the best in the league at breaking those defences down. Um, and I'm, I don't have enough sort of tactical knowledge of the game to start um, breaking down individual styles of buses if you know what I mean so I don't know if anyone's doing anything differently or whether we've just got a bit less confidence or we're playing a little bit differently probably a concussion of everything um but Thiago comes on and and uh I think looking towards games like that yeah you want to manage as minutes as much as you can 
um, because we can't have him being out for another two months because the midfield just isn't functioning well enough at the moment. Um, and just finally to pick up on Jay's point there, because I, I slightly disagree in the sense that Thiago's a significantly better footballer than Henderson. I completely understand where it's coming from, and I think it's kind of what like Man City supporters say about De Bruyne. Um, you look at De Bruyne and you look at Henderson, uh, and last season you'd think, no doubt, De Bruyne was player of the year, but the impact Henderson has on games in terms of his running, I know it's kind of not the, the easiest on the eye at times. I know it's not the the thing pe- the commentators talk about and what we talk about in podcasts, but it's all about impact on a football match. And both of those players impact the football match in a very positive way for Liverpool on their day. I know Henderson's been pretty poor in the last month, but it's not like him. And I think having both of them in the same midfield, maybe even with Fabinho from getting another centre-half back, that that's just terrifying. I think they've only played together once. Was it Everton away is the only game those three played in midfield together? Um, I think I might be right in that because I think that was only Thiago's fifth game tonight. But yeah, keep him fit and we will be on for, uh, I mentioned a treble in the pre-pod. I don't know about that, but certainly at least one of the trophies. Yeah, let's all let's all keep our fingers crossed that we can see as much of him as possible in the football pitch. Mike, um, the game's then buried after you know a, a, a short spell of the second half. I actually don't even know how long it was between the goals. I just know it wasn't long at all. Like certainly a couple of minutes between the first two. Five minutes um, between the three goals, Dave. Was it five minutes between the yeah. three goals? I thought it was that quick, but then I thought no, it couldn't be that quick. But okay, um, and finally, Mike. You know, some actual quality finishing that had been lacking. And we can talk about struggling to create chances in different bits and pieces in the first half, but we should have the ball in the net at least two more times. Um, and then, again, the start, of the, the start of the second half, there's a, a Fabinho header from a corner right into the goalkeeper's arms. Um, there's the Salah flick, which then... You know, it's not a great cross. And Nico Williams, he plays it behind him. It should be it should be just in front of him to tap in. Um, and the game should be dead and buried, let's be honest, before they even get their goal. But, and I don't think there's been enough spoken about this, Mane's header is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He can't see a lot of the ball, I wouldn't say, because it is dropping over the top of this big lad. And he manages to get underneath it and loop it up and over the keeper into the far corner. Fantastic. Salah, another great finish <coughs> as well. Um, and also Wijnaldum, same. Um, and that is the, the pass from Thiago that Andy was talking about. And it was the first time we really kind of played along the edge of the penalty area um, where Mane popped it, into, popped it into Minamino, who again popped it just lovely into, into Wijnaldum's stride. And he's able to stroke it in the bottom corner. And again, that goes to show the difference that the right pass can make, but doesn't matter how right the pass is. The boys need to be clinical enough, and hopefully that now is the start of us finding our shooting boots again. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought we should have gone in at half time, three, four, one up. Um, we've been very poor at finishing that over the last few weeks. Uh, but again, I think like you say, Thiago comes on, he's banging that ball into him quick. And like, like I think Andy said, if it doesn't stick, that's down to Salah, that's down to Firmino. You know, they've got to do their job. Um, suddenly the confidence is up because they're getting the right ball where they want it. Like we said, it's not going wide and the cross pass and it's predictable. Um, and so I think the confidence, I thought Genie's goal was outstanding, actually. 
because uh, when it showed you from behind him, uh, he didn't just hit that in the corner. I mean, he just, that was absolute inch perfect. He placed that perfectly. I thought it was a great goal. Uh, and like I say, Manu's header. He, like I was thinking that. I thought he can't even. What? I thought, how's he got that ball and looped it in? As soon as he headed it, I shouted goal. I could just see it looping in the net, but uh, I think the commentator thought it was an own goal, didn't he, actually? Um, and I thought, was it? Was it not an own goal? Yeah, I couldn't really see, and it, because it did drop right over that big lad's head. I didn't even really see yeah. my head. It. No, no. Manny, Manny, was, Manny was so embarrassed about celebrating it that it looked like an own goal, but it definitely is Manny's. Oh, it was a great edit, wasn't it? But for some reason, as soon as it left his head, you knew it was going to be a goal, didn't you? It was bizarre. You just knew that was going in for some reason. It was, I don't know, like I say, Salah's goal was, that's more like it, isn't it? You know, I mean, he's got in the habit lately, Salah. I, I, I think I touched on it last time. I think Andy was on with me as well. When he's getting to one goal, he's always trying to bend it against Newcastle. That keeper was already down with his hand, ready to push it wide. It, to me, he just dinked it over the keeper. But, when he scored, he finally did the simple stuff, didn't he? You know, turn, hit it hard and low. Instead of trying to, he's always trying to bend him in the corner. <laughs> it's quite, quite annoys me at times. <laughs> but uh, it, it's a frustrating one um, because you do hope that the finishing would be better. And, and these guys, you know, their goal scoring speaks, yeah. speaks for itself, Mike. Um, yeah. Just on, before you go over to the other two lads, there, I thought Bobby was unlucky not to score. I thought some of his touches in and around the penalty area with Thiago, with Jeannie, uh, I, I thought was outstanding. Some great, quick, one-touch footballing. Like you say, in spaces where they shouldn't be getting rid of the ball, should they? And like you, you highlighted it on the step over of Thiago's. I, I, I just thought... He's got his feet on the wrong legs. <laughs> it was bizarre. Yeah, it's very strange. It's like a, it's, his legs so straight or something. I don't know what it is, but I don't care. No, no, me. <laughs> no. So, yeah, it's 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 encouraging. It is encouraging. Um, one thing I do want to touch on, Jay, is, you know, just moving away from the match momentarily. Um, the... Obviously, the the Villa team are impacted by the COVID outbreak. Um, there's a record high number of positive tests among Premier, Premier League clubs. Um, realistically, you know, we've seen a couple of matches postponed, cancelled. But the reality is here that there isn't really any room for fixtures to get rearranged into. And, you know, if the league does have to take some sort of a break. You'd have to think there's got to be some sort of that sacrifice made, whether it's a cup competition, whether it's curtailing league games, whether it's breaking the league in half after a certain point and finishing it that way or something. Um, but, you know, this is this is much more concerning than, than this time last year, you would say. 100%, yeah. I mean, I think we got mentioned in our group the other day, um, about this and I said just cancel the FA Cup like whatever money is set aside from sponsors and TV and stuff like that that would have been pre-agreed 
prior to the season, then give that to the to the lower league clubs, anyone below the Premier League, because they need it more than the Premier League clubs do. I know that's a, a very harsh statement to make and it's quite judgmental, but like if you're putting teams into the competition, like we, we touched on it before, Bob Marine. Marine haven't played since the beginning of December and they played yeah. Tottenham on Sunday as we record this on Friday night. So there's a significant disadvantage for the fact that they're, they're not being able to to get match practice. Um and obviously they can't they can't have people in the ground or they've sold virtual tickets, gone really well, they've sold over six thousand tickets. Um and significantly boosted their coffers for the money that they wouldn't get because there's no fans allowed in the stadium, for example. But football is at a at a crucial time and but the whole society is at a crucial time with this COVID outbreak, especially in the UK. Um yeah. you can't afford to be postponing fixtures and trying to squeeze them in because there's the return of the Champions League, should that go ahead? Because you've got people travelling across Europe. That's a question that needs to be asked. Um, but there's too much money and that's the way I imagine it will do. Um, the, yeah, Euros, the issue with the sponsors is, the interest issue with the sponsors there is, Jay, that, yeah, the sponsorship money might have been agreed and in place, but if there's no matches taking place and there's no oh yeah, of course, there's no, you know, there's, there's, breach of, there's breach of contracts and things there that need to be considered. So, and obviously but, each individual footballing body has their own interests. So the Premier League can't tell the FA to cancel the FA Cup. So it really is a sticky situation. Oh, it, it, but the FA could cancel that and just say, okay, the money's going to be divvied up because obviously the there is money. Yeah, the FA could. Aside. The FA could, but they won't. They won't. It's all they have left. Yeah, because yeah, you say they're clinging to the very end of the straw, but. That that's what I would I'd give it to the to the clubs that need it mostly. We've seen it struggling, but it won't happen. Um, and just to get onto the fact of like squeezing fixtures in the Euros at the end of the season again raises the issue of should people be travelling across Europe, across multiple nations, across a short period of time, with carrying a lot of people? Because obviously you have like the, all the backroom staff and everything else that goes with a football team. Traveling across your that that shouldn't be happening because the situation it's in it's just, it's only going to get worse. So there is again the question: Would that be cancelled because it was already suspended from last year? And the answer is no because there's too much money in UEFA for that. They won't suspend their big glorious competition. They won't suspend the Champions League, so they're not going to suspend the European Championships. But if we are going to fit all this football in, as Klopp alluded to, there's just going to be more and more injuries because you're squeezing the players so far and if it doesn't happen within the domestic calendar it probably will happen within the international summer yeah Andy it's it really is a difficult situation that we're, we find ourselves in and you can only imagine that given the way that numbers are going it's only going to get worse the other risk with squeezing fixtures in left right and centre aside from the obvious strain on the players fitness um, and conditioning is you're running a higher risk of a further infection there the quicker you're turning games around um, players are interacting with each other staff are interacting with each other far more frequently than they would have been previously and that's going to make it all the more difficult to contain 
Yeah, it is. And in terms of these uh, record number of cases, I think there are now even more than what there were um, when we first started to become aware of COVID. I think there were over 40 tests in the Premier League last week. And the news today is that there were uh, over 100 in, in the EFL and FA Cup. And if you take a look down the League One and League Two fixtures over the past couple of weeks, I know obviously they're not playing in Europe and there's a lot more free dates, so it's not as big a deal. But the virus doesn't um, <laughs> the virus doesn't take level of sport into consideration. You know, if this virus is spread and the supposedly new variant is spreading quicker than the previous ones, then uh, that is eventually, well, it already has made its way into the Premier League and it's going to cause disruption. Um, in terms of what, what Jay said, I completely get the point about the sponsorship money being spread amongst the other teams, but the problem is the sponsorship money, as you say, Dave, won't be there. Uh, there's no FA Cup, BT Sport aren't going to pay out all that money they do to show the games, and same with the BBC, and I'm not sure if Amazon Prime have any FA Cup games, but you get my broader point, um, and and that's going to be a problem for clubs, and what really should have happened was, because we, we know we... we the right thing to do would be would have been to cancel the UEFA Nations League, but we couldn't even do that due to sponsorship and the the money coming into football associations, which is which is a big thing for them, especially seeing they don't have regular gate receipts, regular revenue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's a it's a difficult one. You can't really cancel cup competitions. The right thing to have the right thing to do would have been to sort of change the format of the Premier League. Which you can't do now because teams have played certain teams away from home and different teams at home. You have to play whatever you've done in the first 19 games. You have to replicate that for the home or away um, for the next 19. And if you stop at, say, a certain number of games short, then you'll get all sorts of uh, cans of worms opening about we will we had this run of fixtures and blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm, you know how it goes. And, um, yeah, and theoretically, my, Andy, we're not at 19 games yet. However, yeah, the issue true. remains, but, but, but the issue remains with the random fixture calculator <laughs> you, you do come across situations where before teams reach the halfway point there are certain teams which they have not played at all and there are certain teams which they have already played twice yeah it, what would have been a good idea but it would have required far too much foresight for um institutions in the united kingdom to put in place would have been to do something like they do in northern ireland and in scotland where they Everyone plays each other a certain number of times. Obviously, that would have to be once in the Premier League. And then it splits. Uh, and that way, um, kind of everyone... I know that there's still a bit of a problem there in terms of if you play um, certain teams home twice and certain teams away. I'm not sure how you could work that. Um, but if you know a certain split where you could curtail the number of fixtures, whereas keeping it a level playing field uh, and not distorting the product for these uh, companies, these... Um, broadcasters so they'll still want to show the games would be the right thing to do and who knows it might have even made it a little bit more exciting um and by the way i stole that opinion off neil atkinson for the athlete rap so i don't want anyone to think that uh, i came up with that marvelous idea myself but that would have been the right thing to do and we're in a situation now where there's as you say there's absolutely no wriggle room for these fixtures to be played uh, and what is going to end up happening inevitably because they're not going to postpone the euros again and uh, what's going to happen inevitably is that um that we're going to end up having to play Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. You know, there's going to be two games in a week, like they made Spurs do at the start of the season uh, when they had a League Cup tie and a European tie, uh, early, early Europa League qualifiers. That's what they made them do, and that's what they'll make us do as well um, because there hasn't been any sort of foresight into it. Um, the Euros, as I say, they've been postponed once. Dave, I'm glad we're not going. Uh, Slovakia can have it. Like, we, we had our laugh in Bosnia and, um, yeah, didn't cry for three days straight after that playoff final. But anyway, um, yeah, it, it's it's hard to see what happens. You, you can understand why they haven't uh, put in place a circuit breaker because those two weeks, where on earth do you catch them up? 
but it looks like it just needs to happen now. Cases are rising. It's not going to magically go away. Um, I didn't really understand how it sort of worked with testing at the start, but it's become apparent now that you know you can the damage can be done in terms of being in contact with people before you actually shows up as positive on your test. So that's why, for example, um, you know the, the players who tested negative for Villa. The first team players who tested negative for Villa in midweek can't play tonight because they've been in contact with those players and it could take a couple of days for that to show up uh, while they're spreading the virus. And and you're just going to have... It, all it takes is one player because they're all in close contact with each other. They're all training together. Nobody's in bubbles and training, I don't think. Uh, so they're all in close contact, really. And, um, and all it takes is sort of one person to get it. And it's the trans- transmissibility of the, of the disease. I mean, it's, it means elite sport. It's going to be... It's going to be uh, taken, and I know there's there's certain arguments um, around vaccinating players. I think Sean Dyche said that this week because I think the argument was that once they're vaccinated, then those tests that the Premier League's taken off could be used elsewhere. That's going to open up a can of worms politically. You know, the people who want to stick the boot into football will have more of a reason to do so, and probably have have a reason to do so as well. Really, if that happens, um, so I don't really know what the solution is to that. Yeah, I think you know if they want to stick the stick the boot in the football for vaccinating their players, they could probably stick the boot into into boys like um, Stanley Johnson and people like that yes. before they start to pick on Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford. Yeah, again. I w- wonder what the difference could be there, Dave. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, <coughs> so yeah, it's 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 something which realistically, Mike, we're not entirely sure if it's if it's going to get resolved this season um but time will tell as it always does um let's just finish on one quick thing mike out of uh one a one to ten scale how many fucks do you give about the fa cup and how far would you like to get I don't care about it, to be fair. I think the next round, uh, we've touched on it before. I think we've got Spurs in midweek. So I think Klopp, I think we all know Klopp is going to play the youngsters. He's got to. He doesn't care. I'm not bothered about it at all, Dave. I want the league again. I want to do the double. I want the league and the Champions League. Uh, But my priority is the league this year, to be truthful. Win it back to back. Um, That's no mean feat, I don't think. You know, I know teams have done it before and we've done it before, but I think it's a... I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we should have already done it back-to-back, shouldn't we? Um, you know, we were unlucky that we chucked it away, didn't we? Uh, a couple of years ago, let's be fair. City did win that. We chucked that one. So this should be a third time on the run, really. Um, so as for the FA Cup, now nah, put the kids out, see how they go, let them have a run, play the players that don't normally play. That's my view on it, Dave. Uh, I say there'd be a, a fair percentage of people would agree with you. Jay, where do you stand on this? Are you bothered one way or another? This season, less so. Um, but then, take any competition, I suppose. Like, like, I don't give a fuck about the Cups, really. Especially the League Cup. But if you get to like the semi-finals, you think, well, you've gone this far, let's go on and win it. Same with the FA Cup, probably once you get to like round six or the quarters or whatever it is, you sort of think, well, we've got this far, like, let's just crack on and win it. Um, but it's A, the fact that it's taken up such a congested season, you're going to be squeezing in games, like Mike just said, the next round is in, in between 
two league games that are pretty damn crucial to us. Then the Champions League comes back in February. It starts to get really hectic. Um, our squad's already stretched in the back as it is, so not really. And the caveat that, as a fan, you know, there's no better day out on the trip to Wembley. We can't go, so nah, I'm not really fussed on it. It'd be nice to win another trophy, but, you know, it's not the, the top of the trophy list that we've got available to us. It is, what, third trees, and it's it's a distinct gap between the top two that we compete into the to the domestic cup. So, I suppose it's how the draw goes. If we get a nice favourable draw, we make it through to the last rounds and maybe you just think we'll go on crack on another cups. Always nicer in our trophy cabinet than someone else's, but it's not. I'm not putting too much corn into this one. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't bother too much this year either. Although, you know, it's. It's We've only won it seven I, times, though. That must be well, seven. Arsenal have won it 14. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's, yeah. There's, I there's think someone told us that, didn't they, today? Oh, yeah. Don't let, don't yeah. let that be forgotten, you know, because yeah. Arsenal only won it like nine times in the last 14 yeah. years because they won fuck all else. <laughs> yeah, Mark Dion was the worst thing about tonight, including Jordan Henderson's performance. Yeah. And, but, yeah. Yeah, Martin Keown's Martin Keown's well, it's, it could be worse. It could have been could have been McManaman. So let's all count our blessings. Andy, do you are you bothered? Is it is it something that you is it something that you have ever given given your age demographic? Is it something you've ever really bothered about? Uh, no, actually. Um, one of my earliest football memories is actually the 2006 FA Cup final. Um, obviously, the, the Stephen Gerrard goal. And I kind of remember watching that. But at that time, you know, at that age, what was I, eight or nine at the time? Um, you know, anything, any football is sort of magical to you. It doesn't matter if it's FA Cup, League Cup, friendlies, whatever. It's all the same. You don't really... Um, Take into consideration the importance of, of competitions, etc. So, no, for me, it's always it's it, it's never kind of been a big thing. It's not something I'm uh, particularly like enamoured with. It's never been the kind of things I always hear about, you know, full day build up and and all this big day out. Um, I was actually at the FA Cup final in 2012 when we lost to Chelsea, so maybe that's why I'm so uh, hostile towards it. But no, I think it has to be a uh, it has to be a competition where we give players minutes. I mean, we talk about this. Um, this, these 14-day breaks and when the guys go in international breaks or have a week off and go to Marbella or Dubai or whatever, the team always comes back and looks sluggish. Um, whereas obviously having this game in between Southampton and Manchester United meant it wasn't 13 days and we were able to really optimise players' minutes and make sure players are in the, the peak condition for Manchester United. I wouldn't like to think anyone's a bit too fatigued or is a bit... It is not fresh enough, given the chance, given the fact that they've had the chance to get those minutes tonight. And I think if the FA Cup can be that, um, certainly for the next round, because the next round I think is on the Saturday, um, so there is a worry. You know, you would have a, a longer break if you're not in that. Um, and then I think it becomes the fifth round is a Wednesday night, and then the quarterfinals, semis, and final. Well, not the final, but the quarterfinals and semis um, are played over Premier League fixtures. So you then have to rearrange your Premier League fixtures. That's when it gets awkward for me, but I think as Jay said, it's all about the draw. You know, if we can get um, two nice draws, because I think as we said in the pre-pod, they're doing a the fourth round and the fifth round draw um, on Monday night, probably on the one show. Um, but uh, yeah, if we can get a nice draw on those two, then you can use that to give players minutes. For it. But the problem is, you know, if you draw Manchester City away, 
you're not going to use that to manage minutes. You're going to have to see. You're going to have to go out and, and try and do something there. You avoid humiliation, ideally. And if you get a nasty draw like that, even like the one we had tonight, uh, wasn't ideal at all. Um, before the the kind of external circumstances got themselves involved. But you know, for me, you know, look. It would be nice to win a treble. I think only we're saying only seven teams have done that in history. It uh, doesn't look overly likely. I'll take one uh, this season. One will do me for, uh, very nicely. Um, and the FA Cup obviously is vastly inferior to the other two we're involved in right now. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like I love watching the Reds play. I'd like to watch an extra game. As long as it doesn't get in the way of players' minutes, I'm happy for us to go as far as possible. Um maybe just out before the quarterfinals, before it starts messing with Premier League stuff. Yeah, well, um, on that note, I would just like to say to all our listeners, um, the FA Cup is only viewed with the stigma that it is due to the Premier League and television companies. Um, and I still hold a nostalgic um, love for the competition just because it used to be fun. And it used to be a big deal. And it used it's to be not. a day, didn't it, Dave? Used, used to be a whole day. day. Used to be a brilliant. great day. Yeah. 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 It used to be the last game of the season, not yeah. like the pen, uh, the last. Yeah. You know, there's the, it used to be three o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah. And even even the third round draw, draw used to be used to be a massive thing. Um, I, I'm like you, Dave. I'm old enough. I was lucky to go to '86 and '89 finals, and they were just unreal. You know, the whole day, travelling down on the train, all the fans mixed, and it was just, you won't get that now. I'm yeah, and if you go back, if you go back to the, the 60s, um, you know, even even Shankly, the FA Cup yeah. was the one trophy that he wanted to win. Yeah. That was the one he wanted. It wasn't the league, and that was how high it used to be valued. Yeah. But this is modern-day football, kids. Um, yeah. It's all some of you have known, and I feel for you. And on that note, um, until next time, up the beat the kids, Reds. <laughs>